in front of every single promise is a giant. No matter what promise it is that you're looking for God to do in your life, there will stand a giant in front of it, an obstacle of some kind. And at the beginning, when you first get saved, the giants are small. But once you move through those, it's almost like when you play on the PS4. There's only one game. I'm not even good at it. In fact, Seth gets frustrated, takes the controller off me and just does it for me. But anyway, so but what happens is, is each level gets harder and harder. And it's the same with your Christian walk. Each level that you grow in God, you face a new demon. And the next demon is going to be bigger and stronger, or the giant's going to be larger than the one you faced before. But this is okay because you grow in strength, and you grow in wisdom, and you grow in understanding. As you face the, the, the giant on one level, you grow. So you can actually face the giant on the next level. So I want to give you four simple keys into taking out the enemy. Because you have a promise that you're looking for on a personal level. It might be looking for salvation for a family member. It might be that you need healing. It might be that you need God's provision. And standing in front of it will be a giant. Standing in front of it will be an obstacle. So there are four keys to taking out the enemy. Because you need to take him out so you can obtain that promise. Yes? Okay, well, three of you are going to obtain the promise. The rest of you are happy to live with your giant. All right. And it all starts with Deborah. She's a judge. She was the prophetess. She was a mighty woman of God. You see, we're going to look at the book of Judges. And the book of Judges covers the period of Israel's history, approximately 300 years from the time that Joshua dies. So this is after they've gone into the promised land. They've subdued a, portion, a fair portion of it, not the whole thing. So it covers from the time when Joshua dies up until when they bring in a king, when they begin their monarchy. And it spans about 300 years. What you have is a cycle of Israel's backsliding and repentance. It's actually a very tragic story if you think about it. So what happens is we had a generation that went with Joshua in. They claimed the promised land. They failed to teach their children about the things of God. So a couple of generations later, what happens is you have them beginning to um, absorb pagan beliefs. You have them beginning to absorb the thoughts and the culture and the society that lived in that day. They begin to turn from God. And when that happens, God allows the enemy to rise up against them and to begin to oppress them. They don't like being oppressed, so they cry out to God and they have this cycle of repentance. And then God, because he is faithful and because he loves, he rescues them and they have a period of, of peace. Then they begin the cycle again, and they begin to allow in the culture of the day to, to override their beliefs. They begin to allow in pagan worship. Then they get oppressed. Then they repent and cry out to God, and God rescues them. Then they have peace. Then they begin to let in the culture of the day, and they begin to follow the pagan ways. The cycle just continues for 300 years. You'd think they'd get a clue. Apparently they're acluistic, which means they don't have a clue. So what happens though, whenever there was a repentance and God would actually come in and rescue them, he would actually raise up a judge. And the judge at that time was someone who was not just a military leader, but also a civil leader. So they would set the laws, they would pass judgments on, on just everyday circumstances, but they would also bring about a change in the way that they did their worship and, and, and brought them back to Jesus. So each time this happened, God would raise up one person, one person who was the right person for it. So the person we're going to talk about at the moment is, is Deborah. 
So we find our heroine who isn't actually Deborah, but who is Yael in Judges chapter 4. Deborah has heard the voice of God. They're at a time in a situation where the enemy king Jabin has been oppressing them for 20 years. So for 20 years, he's been enslaving them. He's been beating up on them. He has a general called Sisera. Now, this general was pretty evil. He was evil beyond evil. He was like a terrorist because he did not care if he was um, having to savage through a township and there were women and children. That didn't bother him. He was quite, he just slaughtered a lot. So you had a time where there was no village life. People hid behind the walls if they could. People stayed very quiet, so they did not want to draw Sisera's attention because he was so evil. So God comes to Deborah and says to her, I want you to take out the enemy. I want you to deal with the King Jabin, and I want you to destroy Sisera. So Deborah, as the judge, she finds a young man by the name of Barak, and she says to him, I'm going to make you the general, and I need you to gather an army. And if you turn to Judges 4, verse 6, this is what she says. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Anunabad from Kadesh in Naphtali. And she said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men, of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulon. And against them I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in this journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command. And Deborah went up with him. In the next chapter, which is Judges 5, the chapter itself is called Deborah's Song. And this actually gives us the history of the time of Israel through the oppression from Jabin and through Sisera. It also tells you the whole entire story. Take a moment in your week and actually read that. And in it, you'll find it's very interesting. They, this army had no weapons. They had no weapons. So you had 10,000 men who gathered together with whatever they could find. If they were a farmer, they might have had a sickle. They might have had, had a garden hoe. But chances are they just had clubs, whatever they could find, because there were no weapons. These 10,000 men were not an army. They were just men, everyday men who they just happened to answer the call of, we need to do this, we need to go and fight. So 10,000 men, these are incredibly brave men. They have no training, and they're going to go up against a, a fully trained, functioning army. So they go up to Mount Tabor, and up there, Deborah and Barak are there, and they meet with Sisera and Sisera's army on the valley floor. What you've got to understand is his army consisted of 900 chariots of iron. You're going to put 900 chariots of iron up against 10,000 men who don't know anything about war. The interesting thing is, though, with a chariot of iron, it doesn't travel real well through mud. It doesn't travel real well when the ground gets boggy. It kind of sinks and gets a little heavy and doesn't move. 
the good thing is, is that God had actually said to Deborah and told her prior that he was going to rout the army, that he was going to completely destroy the enemy, that he was going to deliver them into their hand. So he actually sent rain. And there's an awesome passage in chapter 5 where it talks about what happens and that the heavenlies, the stars themselves begin to war. And what it talks about is that you had the armies of God beginning to war above them as they were beginning their own battle. What God also did is, out of season, completely not supposed to be happening at that time of the year, he sends a torrential rainstorm. So this rainstorm comes in and completely floods the river, which in turn floods the valley floor, which in turn makes chariots of iron slightly useless. In fact, more than slightly useless, they became a hindrance. And what happened is that Deborah then turns to Barak and she says, Come on, Barak, gather the men, let's go. And they actually swamped it down into the valley and slaughtered every single person in Sisera's army. Every single one, except for Sisera. And verse 17 says, However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. And there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. So here we have Sisera, whose whole entire army has been completely slaughtered before him. I don't know how he managed to avoid this. Well, we do because God said. But he manages somehow to escape this whole slaughter. And he's running for his life. And as he's running, he goes to one place he thinks is going to be safe. Because he knows that Heber, the Kenite, is, is actually... Um, signed an allegiance with Jabin the king. So we had this woman, Yael, because she's there and, and Heber wasn't. So Yael is standing there and she's in a position where she does not agree with her husband. She does not think that he, what he's done, signing an alliance with the enemy king was a good idea. So she's in a situation, in fact, sometimes I think it can be like that for us. Maybe you're a person who has an unsaved spouse and your husband, so to speak, is sleeping with the enemy because their thought processes and the way that they live their life does not follow what God does, and it's completely separate. Or bringing it into the church, you might be a half of a couple, and one of you wants to serve God fully and passionately, and the other one doesn't. The other one's quite happy just to turn up every so often and warm the pew. You can feel like you're at odds within your marriage. You can feel like you're struggling. The great thing about this, though, is that if you keep praying and you're faithful with your prayers for your spouse or for whoever it is, that... This is just one of those times where you're going to be able to look back and say they were just working on their testimony here because God is always faithful and he will always bring it about his, his way. So Yael's husband is sleeping with the enemy. He's made an alliance with the wrong people. And Sisera, thinking that that must be a safe place, has fled to Yael's tent. In verse 18 it says, And Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me and do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a, bag, a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes in and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And she went softly to him and drove the tent tent peg into his temple, and it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. And so he died. And then, as Barak pursued Sisera, Yael came out to him, and she said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. 
And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the pig in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. Chapter 5, verse 24, says it like this. Most blessed among women is Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out a cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched out her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head, she split and struck through his temple. And at her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. And where he sank, there he fell dead. And the word goes on to say that they had peace for 40 years. It's quite a story, really, if you think about it. It is not a lesson on domestic violence. It really isn't. This is not how we resolve our issues with people. But what it is, it's a story of God taking a nobody and using them to destroy a somebody. You see, every Sunday, hopefully what's happening is you are going out of this church and you're going to be full of the Word of God and you're going to be full of faith, and you're actually going to be able to take on the giants that stand in front of you. You're going to be able to go out there and subdue the enemy and be able to lay claim to the promises of God. And there are four keys in this story, four little things that you should pay attention to that will help you do that. Because if you're leaving here on Sundays and you're not able to face those giants, then you need to ask yourself, why not? Is it just because you don't know what to do? Or is it because you haven't actually laid, laid hold of the faith that you have? You see, I do not want you ever to have the enemy take you out. It, it saddens me when I hear stories of people where the enemy has just run roughshod over your life. And I came to the realization, I don't know how many of you knew it, but I had a car accident must be eight weeks ago, where I got hit by a truck. And I'm, I've got this tiny little car, and I'm on the motorway. He taps me. I spin into the medium barrier, and then I bounce back into his lane, and then the truck smacks into me, into the driver's door. And then I go flying across all three lanes and land backwards in the ditch. The police officer said the video footage is phenomenal. He said the way that I managed to avoid every other car on that motorway, he said, was unbelievable. So he's never seen anything like it. The ambulance guys, they turned up, they thought, the fire brigade turned up with a shroud, they thought they were coming to get a body out. They didn't realise I'd actually survived. Not only that, barely a scratch, a couple of bruises and bumps and that was it. What it did though, is it made me realise something. That for God to have protected me through all that, and I believe without a doubt that he did, that there must be something that he needs me to do, that I haven't yet done. One of the things that I've always struggled with is that I had this perception, and whether it was a right perception or a wrong perception or however I came about it, is that pastors' wives and pastors who are females have to be nice and lovely and sweet and caring. Why are you laughing? And I realize, and I know, I'm not quite like that. You see, when something happens and you hurt yourself... I will laugh as I help you up. So even as a Christian, what happens is that I know you've got these awesome pastoral Christians who come alongside you and they put their arm around you because you're going through all this stuff and they hug you and they, they love on you and that's awesome because we all need that. But I don't do that. 
I come alongside you and I stand you up and I brush you off and I put your helmet back on your head. I take the dent out of your shield. I hand it back to you. I give you a sword and I say, go get him, tiger. Because that is how God has created me. He's created me to fight. And I suddenly realized through this whole thing that I have to fight because that's what I'm created for. I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you all these wonderful scriptures about how awesome you are. I'm going to assume you already know that, but I'm going to tell you how to fight. I will support you in the fight. I'm not going to fight for you because I cannot fight your, your giants. I've got enough of my own to worry about. But I can encourage you to fight. I can give you the keys that you need. I can train you how to hold your sword and how to hold your, hold your um, shield up. I can train you where you need to position your helmet exactly. That is what God has called me to do. So one of the things I want to make sure of is that today, when you leave, the enemy's not going to run over you this week. That this week, you will take him out. Yeah? Awesome. Let's do this then. Four things that Yael did to take out the enemy. The first thing is, you need to start where you are. Not where you want to be. Not where you were before. You literally, actually have to start where you are. So for me, I have to start right here at CFC. I can't look at Brian and Bobby Houston and say, I wish I was there. I can't look at T.D. Jakes and say, I wish I was there. I can't look at all these great things and say, that's where I wish I was, because that's not where I am. And that's not, actually not where they started. Hillsong is a phenomenal church, but you can't look at them and say, that's where they started. They started 30-odd years ago, back when Brian and Bobby Houston used to have to pay to go and speak at places. Not that they got paid to speak there. They, they paid people to let them come and speak. So you have to actually start right where you are. I have to start at CFC. I have to start in my workplace. My workplace is an interesting workplace. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes I just wanna throw my hands up in the air and say, God, what is it with these kids, these teenagers these days? But I have to start there because that is where I am. You have to start where you are. You start here at CFC. You start in your workplace and you start in your home. Because yesterday's experience is actually today's teacher. God wants me to be where I'm supposed to be, not where I've been, and not where I wish I was. Did you know that Ya'al means mountain goat? Terrible name. I don't know what her parents are thinking. Why did she name her mountain goat? You know, she could have named her Deborah. Deborah means honeybee. Did you know that? Deborah, that's a nice name. Or even Sarai, which means princess. But no, her mother didn't. Her mother named her mountain goat. Interesting thing about mountain goats is that they are able to get into places and high places that most other animals or people cannot get. They're not only that, they don't have lovely mink silky coats. What they have is thick heavy coats, but it keeps them really warm in the high altitudes when it's winter. She knew who she was. She started where she was. She may have been a mountain goat, but God had called her to do amazing things. It doesn't matter where you start. God will call you for that purpose. Basically, what we need to do is not be constantly looking back to where we were. We cannot be looking forward to, to where we wish we were. We just need to start now. We need to get over ourselves and just move on. The second thing we have to do is we have to be where you belong. Be where you belong. Well, what does that mean? That means wherever you are, be present. Be attentive. Be focused. Be on. You know what? You may be at a season in your life where you're just doing the whole stay-at-home mom or dad thing and you're just washing dishes. You know what? 
Do that to the best of your ability. And I know it sounds a bit weird, but thank God that you have running water and you're not having to go and, you know, pump it up from the lake. You know, thank God for the things that he's given you for where you are right now. Quite often, though, we look at other people's lives and we wish we were somewhere else. We wish we were over there. We wish we were doing that. I remember last year we went to Numea. I love Numea. Numea is, is awesome. Absolutely awesome place. We had a great time while we were there with, with Craig and the kids and my extended family. And, and I loved being with Craig and I loved being with the kids and just having fun and just relaxing. And, and I actually said to God, I could stay here. Not very many places I've been where I will say that because I love New Zealand. But I'm like, I, I could actually live here. I could stay here. The reason, though, why we didn't is because God has given us a God dream. And that God dream and that call of God in our life doesn't take place in Numea. That God dream, that call of God on our life takes place here in Pukekohe. So we came back to Pukekohe. I came back to Pukekohe. I wasn't upset about it. I was happy about it. But we have to be where we are because we are called to create, to birth, and to carry the things of God for the place where you are right now. What would have happened if Ya'al wasn't in that tent? Would a sister have been killed? Would sister have, have been destroyed or would have been able to go back and raise up another army? But because she decided to stay where she was, she didn't decide to go into the village and hang out with all the big girls. She didn't decide she needed to troop off to this conference or troop off over there, but she decided to stay and planted herself where she was. You see, there are enemies that the enemy comes into your home and if you are not there to protect it, he's going to destroy you. God says that he wants his people focused that he wants them staying put, that he wants them disciplined and not running away from problems, not running away from circumstances, not running away from responsibilities or relationships. He wants us in our churches and he wants us in the house of God, not running when we get offended, but submitting and, and to the people who hold us accountable. He wants us to be connected because if we are not connected, when trouble comes, you're going to reach for the natural and not for the spiritual. The whole reason why we push so much about getting yourself connected is because if you're not connected to the house of God, you're going to falter. Because as much as your, your friends who are not Christians are lovely people, they cannot direct you to God. They cannot direct you to the one who can actually change your circumstances. Psalm 92 verses 12, 13 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. We need to be planted. We need to be where we belong. That doesn't mean that God won't move you at a later date. But wherever you are, be present at that place. The enemy is doing everything he can to keep us out of the church and out of our homes. So I believe that God's going to begin to raise up a generation who puts the things of God ahead of the things of themselves. One of the things that disturbs me greatly about this Western world is how much it's about ourselves. Everything is about ourselves. Unfortunately, what happens is that seeps in to our church. So it becomes about ourselves. It becomes about, I didn't like this. I didn't like that in the service today. I didn't like, you know what, it's actually not about that. This is a place where you come so that you can be trained to go back out and fight. This is a place where you come so you can worship corporately together because healing can happen for you in a worship service if you allow it. It's not about the words that we sing and it's not about the music we listen to and it's not about what color the walls happen to be and it's not about if we like the coffee or not. Technically, I don't, but 
You know, it's not because I don't drink coffee. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not about those things. It's about we come together to worship God. And if we aren't doing that, if all we're doing is moaning and complaining, we're never going to be able to see the God dream come to pass. You need to stay where we belong. The third thing that Yael did was she greeted what was coming. You need to think about it. She's in her tent. I don't quite know what they did in those days. Maybe she was hanging out the washing. Maybe she was churning butter. Maybe she was making cheese. Whatever. So she's doing her own thing. She's in her tent doing what she was supposed to be doing. And she sees Sisera coming. You also have to remember that at this point in time, she didn't know that his whole entire army had been wiped out. All she knew is that Sisera was a terrorist who liked to go around destroying people. So here he comes. Does she run and hide in fear? Does she freak out? No, she doesn't. What she does is she gets up and she goes up to him and she welcomes him. Not only that, one of the things you probably don't understand is he actually said to her, can I have some water? And she gave him milk. That's actually quite significant in their culture. That, see, water was the acceptable hospitality thing that you had to do. If you gave someone milk, you were actually extending to them grace. You were extending to them honor. So she had, her giving him milk made him feel like he was being honored. He was being going to be looked after. So she got up there and she went and got him some milk. 90% of our life is actually all about our attitude. I cannot choose what comes at me. I cannot choose what circumstances come to me. I cannot choose what trouble comes to my door. What I can choose is how I respond to it. I can be afraid or I can trust God. I can confront these things or I can run and hide and have to deal with them again another day. The way forward is how are you greeting the trouble? That will actually dictate what happens in your life. If you greet trouble with a woe is me attitude, you will always greet trouble with a woe is me attitude. If you greet trouble, trouble as a way of God's going to help me overcome this, then you will be successful and you will overcome this. You see, I've done things afraid that I haven't wanted to do and they've actually worked out for me. You may not realize it, but getting up on the stage to preach, I freak out every time. You, you, gotta, you should ask my family what happens. It's like three days of me freaking out and I can't do this and I don't want to do this and why are you making me do this? Craig, I thought you loved me and blah, 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 blah. He gets that. He, and then he, he just, just ignores me and basically just shows me up here anyway. But I learned something. Sometimes you have to do it afraid. Sometimes we take a deep breath and we step out in those faithful moments. The only reason why nine times out of ten we don't take a step of faith is because we're afraid. So do it afraid. You are afraid. Acknowledge it. God, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do this anyway and step out. And then every so often what you'll find is that you're not as afraid as you thought you were or you're not as afraid as you used to be. And we have to be able to do that when trouble comes. We have to be able to recognize that fear is probably one of the best weapons that the enemy has. Because the fear of anything will keep us bound. Do you know why fear is probably the, the best weapon he has? Because I look at people when they take photos and then we filter them. We filter them because we're afraid of what people are going to say if they saw the original. We filter them because we don't want people to see the real us. We don't want them to see like, you know, maybe we, had a, we were sitting funny, we had a roll sitting here, we've got all these wrinkles, we're going to just take those out. Why? Because we're afraid of what people say. We're afraid of what people think. It's true. Honestly, I've seen all you guys filtered stuff on Facebook. 
I know that's what you do. And it doesn't matter how old you are. That's what we do. Fear will, will shut us down. So we have to learn to recognize fear. We have to learn to isolate it, and we have to learn to shut it down. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear, so why do you accept it? We should not accept anything that God does not give us. We do not accept what this world says is normal. We only accept what God says. We do not bow down to it. So when trouble comes, you meet it at the door. You don't let it come into your house. You don't let it come into your heart. You meet it at the door. We had a Rottweiler a number of years ago, and he was great. I love my Rottweiler. But what he would do is if he didn't know you, you couldn't come into the house you couldn't, and the funny thing was, you couldn't touch Madison and Seth when they were babies. If he did not know you and you went to touch them, he would bail you up in the corner. Not out of touch. And that's how we have to be. When trouble comes to, the, comes to us, we greet it at the door. You don't just let it run roughshod over your family. The fourth thing that Yael did was she used what she had on hand. This tiny little woman, I'm assuming she was tiny, what did she do? What did she do? She took a tent peg and she took a mallet because that was all she had. She wasn't Jet Li. She didn't have all these awesome moves like Jackie Chan. She didn't have a machine gun like Arnold Schwarzenegger. She wasn't Xena warrior princess with a massive sword. She had a tent peg and a mallet. And she took those things and she drove it through his temple. Use what you have on hand. Use what you have. You see, God is not looking for us to have unbelievable weapons at our disposal. Moses had a rod, and that rod split the Red Sea. David had several small stones and a sling, and he took out a giant. There was a little boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed thousands upon thousands. God doesn't need you to have all this amazing resource and all these amazing weapons. All God needs you to have is what you have in your hand, and then he will do the rest. He's not asking you for the impossible. He's just asking for what you have in your hand, and he will use that to take out the enemy. God isn't limited by our resource. Not at all. So if we want to take out the enemy, we have to do four things. We have to start where we are. We have to be where we belong. Because we we're birthed on this earth to do great things for God. And he didn't put you in the wrong place. We have to greet what's coming at us. We have to not allow fear a foothold in our life and in our families. And we have to use what we've got on hand. There are just a couple of things I want to remind you about when you confront the enemy. Because you're going to have to confront the enemy. In your own life as an individual and, in, and as us as a corporate body, we're going to have to confront the enemy. Because he doesn't want us to build a daycare that's going to provide money for a holistic center that's going to change the people's lives in our community. But first of all, 
you're going to have to do it in your own personal life. How can we band together to overcome such a giant if you can't do it in your own personal life? So there are a couple of things I want you to remember. And now I always, if you've been in this church long enough, you'll know, I always think of the enemy as a snake. And I hate snakes. Like, I beyond hate snakes. If I see a picture of a snake appear on my iPad or something, I will throw the iPad across the room. And my kids are used to it now. My husband's used to it. They'll just pick it up and remove the picture and hand it back. So I hate snakes. But the enemy is a snake. But God will always let you know when snake is coming into your house. He will always let you know when the enemy is coming. You may have opened doors in your life. You may have opened them yourself. Or maybe you forgot to close them when you became a Christian. There's certain things that you've left, left your life vulnerable to. Maybe the storms of life have forced open doors in your life and the snake will try to come in. But God will always warn you when that's going to happen. Snakes will always seek, seek a way to stay in the house. They like dark places. So usually they hide away for a while before they, before they become known. You can't allow them to stay. And sometimes that's a painful process of, of routing these snakes and, and, and getting rid of them. You have to understand that God has called you to guard your heart. He has called you to guard your home. And He has called us to guard this community. So when the snake seeks to stay, we get rid of it. If God has not given it permission to stay, we don't give it permission to stay. Snakes, uh, God will always make sure that you have what you need to get rid of the snake. You don't need any extra special training. You don't need any extra special skills. If you just take a hold of the things that God has given you, they might seem foolish to some people, but God will tell you what you need to do to get rid of the snake for yourself, out of your home and out of your life. Fear will want to stop you from resting with that snake. I know, I, like I said, I don't like snakes. But you know what? You, a firm hand in the name of Jesus is going to overcome any snake in your life. It will. I know sometimes it may feel like it doesn't, and maybe you have an echo. Maybe it's actually just the, the empty skin of a snake left behind. But you take it by the name of Jesus and you'll get it rid of it and you'll be able to stand. See, the thing is, the supernatural is not spooky or scary. It's just God being super on our natural. You naturally do what God's told you to do and He'll do all the super that you need. It's not about, it's not about you needing to do anything extra special. So today I wanted to make sure that when you left, you knew what you were going to do. So the first thing, what are we going to do? We're going to, we're going to what? Start where we are. Number two, we're going to be where we belong. Number three, we're going to, what? I can't hear you. If, nice. And the fourth thing we're going to do is, that's right. All right, let's get to our feet and we're going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for a, a people, for a family, God, who are coming together to fulfill a God dream. Lord, for our community, I thank you, God, for a people who are going to stand and fight for themselves and fight for their families. I thank you, God, for a people who are not going to be afraid, but who are going to do the things that you require of them, who are going to do them boldly and with courage. 
I thank you, God, that we're going to rout this enemy. Lord, that the enemy will not have a foothold in our lives. He will not have a foothold with our families, and he will not have a foothold in our community. I thank you, God, that we are going to begin to arise up, that we are going to be a church that's going to, going to shake this, this, this city and shake this nation. I thank you, God, that we will not allow the enemy to take any more ground, but we will take ground for your kingdom. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think before we go, I think it would be a great idea.